um, as we dedicate, uh, you know, have a dedication Sunday uh, this this week, uh, going into exciting things, uh, David's going to come up and uh, give us the message on Psalm 127, verses 1 to 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Amen. Well, thank you, Cindy. Good morning, everybody. I think the usher team is coming around. Um, thanks, guys, for, for your ministry and that. Uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. Uh, isn't that kind of exciting that the 49ers are actually in it right now? I mean, I feel, I feel like even... I feel like even with the, uh, the, even the, the 49er faithful fan base, I'm looking at one I know is especially 49er fan base, uh, even at the beginning of the year, nobody was thinking that this was going to happen. Um, and then even when we got on a roll, man, it's an exciting time to be a fan of the 49ers. Um, so uh, anyways, I hope you guys are able to enjoy that later. If you are uh, not a football fan, that's okay. I hope you enjoy Super Bowl commercials and lots of uh, guacamole. Um, so we're going to be uh, jumping into the Word today. I'm excited to look at this with you. Uh, today is a, a big day in the life of the church. Uh, we are uh, moving into uh, this new season of launching a second gathering. And so uh, we're, we've been all month kind of really preparing for that. And uh, we've been talking a lot about that. And um, one of the ways that we've been talking about that is looking, about, looking at uh, one, um, uh, our part um, our part in all of this. And that's actually something I want to look at here in the text today. And uh, before I do that, let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into the Word. Uh, Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Lord, with these offerings, we give them to you. Father, we just stop and we give you praise for the impact. We just celebrated. At the, at the turn of the year, we, we shot for, for a $50,000 goal, and you brought in through your people here, through their generosity, 81. Lord, would you use those... Uh, those funds to do a wonderful work in the community and beyond. Blessing our partners and blessing those that you bring into our midst. Um, but Lord, as we look at your word today, would you help us commit and dedicate the season ahead to you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at our part first, because that's here in the text, right? I mean, you see, as the scripture was just read, it's talking about builders who are laboring to build the house, and is talking about guards who are watching over the house. Uh, to draw from that analogy, as we've been gearing up for this next uh, uh, season in the life of the church, we've been talking about our part. And we've been really trying to distill that down to three ways. Of course, this, is, this can be talked about in, in any number of senses, but in at least three ways we've been talking about what our part in this is going to be. The first thing we've talked about is by praying. We've been inviting the church into praying. And so uh, a couple weeks back, we looked at John 17. For those of you guys who were here, we looked at the only long and continuous prayer recorded of Jesus in the Bible. Some of his very last words we have in John 17, right before he's arrested, he's crucified and ultimately raised to life again. Some of these last precious moments with his 12 main students, his disciples, he's praying for them and he's praying for us down the ages. And what does he pray for? He prays for unity. Uh, he doesn't pray for something like, hey, uh, let persecution not happen to my followers. Let suffering happen less and less. He prayed for unity. And we considered how that's such an important thing. 
because when you look at it down the ages, it's really when unity was intact in the church, by the way, among a lot of churches or in the, middle, in, in, in the midst of uh, individual churches, it's when unity has been intact that the gospel or good news of Jesus has really spread the most. By the way, even at times of great persecution and great sufferings in the church. And then when there has been a lack of unity in the church, that has been some of the times where the gospel has stopped the most from spreading. So it's no wonder that Jesus prayed for these things, looking back at all of that. But it's also important for us to consider this as we move into this next season in the life of the church, that we be praying, we be praying for unity. Jesus said, I, I pray that they, that is his followers down the ages, might be one as you and I, Father, are one. May they be brought to complete unity. And then he said this, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me. In other words, we pray for unity, not just for the sake of, hey, getting along, if, if we're followers of his, loving each other, caring for each other, which is important, but also for the, uh, a key reason to help those who don't know him come to know him, maybe even receive him for themselves. So we've been talking about praying. Last week, as, as the leaders gathered, as kind of for a little leadership gathering, we spent a big portion of that time praying for next week and beyond in the life of the church. So would you be praying for the church? This is part of our role in this. Would you be praying for unity? Would you be praying for relationships? Would you be praying for folks as they step into new roles or greater roles? Or, or would you be praying for those who make decisions? Um, we, we need to be praying. That's, part of, that's a part of our role in this. Secondly, we've, we've been talking about our part in the sense of serving. Uh, that's when we looked at Nehemiah 3. If you guys were here a couple weeks back when we looked at Nehemiah 3, it's kind of an obscure text in the scriptures in the Old Testament. I, I kind of liked it from a preaching standpoint in the sense of I, I had you guys listen to about 12 of the 30 verses of that chapter, which are all just a bunch of names and what people were doing to build this wall. It's like name after name, so-and-so of such-and-such household was building this section of the wall, putting up doors and bolts, and then this so-and-so was doing this and that, and it's just verse after verse after verse. I had fun letting Cindy read that and try to get all the names right. Um, but it's a great text. I mean, while we might think, well, where is this going? How is this going to, like, you know, preach? It actually is an incredibly helpful text to understand the importance of building God's work. So back then, when the Israelites were building and rebuilding the ancient wall of Jerusalem to keep them safe, to help their community thrive, we talked about how it's really important for us as we build, as we watch over uh, the city and we build the house that God has given, entrusted to us, this spiritual house. And we talked about how every part of the section of, of, of the wall is important. And we talked about how every part of the ministry that we do here that you guys are, are serving to help make happen is vitally important. For instance, raising up the next generation of, of followers of Jesus, working with the kids, or helping make this room a welcoming space, or setting up and taking down this welcoming space, or as Mel was just highlighting, creating a welcoming space in terms of relationships and so on and so forth, playing instruments. Uh, word is on the street, I think the band is looking for uh, a strong bass guitarist. So if that's you, we all play different parts. And one of the things I loved about looking at Nehemiah 3 is as this people of God was building this wall, we saw that no professional builder was mentioned. All the people who were out there building were priests, perfume makers of all, of all things, uh, merchants, even kids were out there helping out, which is just such a beautiful picture of everybody coming and pulling, pulling their, their part in this, in this uh, uh, work of God. And that's what we're trying to do here. 
And so we've been inviting you into that. If you feel so led, we, we threw a serve day, putting the opportunities and needs before you a couple weeks ago. If, first of all, for those of you guys who did sign up for a team, we're so thankful for you. Uh, and if you're, you're, you, you weren't able to sign up or you're interested in any way, you're welcome to join in and be a part of that. But serving is part of our uh, role in this. And then finally, we've been talking about how we are to bring as part of our, our role. And, and this was last week's focus as we looked at John 1, when we looked at how Philip, this guy who, when you do a character study of him in the, in the scriptures, a guy who's not really referenced all that much throughout the, the biblical accounts, uh, when he is mentioned, we find out that he's kind of timid. He's probably, he probably wasn't an extrovert. And he was often fumbling his way around in terms of grasping theological concepts or taking big faith steps. And yet, he brought his friend Nathaniel to Christ. And Nathaniel put his faith in Jesus. How? By Philip persuading him? Arguing him into the faith? No. By saying simply, come and see. And we've talked about how that's just a central part to who we are here at Current, that we want to be a place where you can come and see for yourself and make up your own mind about Jesus. How we as a church want to hold Jesus out as best we can, getting out of the way for you or friends or coworkers, whoever might come into our, uh, our community, might make up their minds for themselves, for you to make up your mind for yourself. We want to be come and see. But a part of this is we want to strive to bring or, or bring folks into this mix so that people can come and see. Uh, you know, there's, we talked about this in the earliest of days when we were still a launch team hanging out in a living room. We talked about how there's actually strategy in the upper echelons of competitive tug-of-war. Do you know that's a thing? The tug-of-war actually has a, a competitive side to it. Well, of course it does. But it's interesting in terms of the strategy that's involved in it. You know, us lesser folks who don't understand such things. I, I, I thought it as you just pull your hardest and whoever's stronger won. No, no, that's not, the whole, that's not all that's going on in, in tug-of-war. Uh, when you really get into it, you have folks who are pulling obviously really hard, but the, a lot of the strategy comes down to somebody at some point saying, hey, one, two, three, everybody pull. And then everybody's pulling hard, and then there's an extra concerted effort right then and there to pull. And then they, they take a break even as they're still pulling, right? One, two, three, pull again. And everybody pulls, and that's a way that a lot of these top teams uh, uh, win. Well, in a similar way, we're thinking about pulling together. You know, we're trying to take advantage of this momentous occasion next week and say, hey, can we bring folks out to that? Can we extend an invitation? Can you send out one of the, can you take one of these cards, which I don't know where I put mine. Oh, here it is. It's a bookmark. Uh, can you bring it on, put it on your desk and eat, whether or not you hand it to someone, it reminds you to say, hey, we want to bring somebody out. Because of course, we can't control whether or not somebody will say yes and actually come, but we can control the invite, the invitation. So these are the ways we've been talking about our part in the midst of this. As we gear up for this fun uh, day in the life of the church next week, we've been talking about our part. We consider these ways today, just reminding ourselves. But today, we also focus on something of infinitely greater importance. Infinitely, David? Yes, infinitely greater importance. We look at God's part. Now, let's read again the text that was read uh, moments ago. Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches, our part is only in vain. You know, I've never actually preached this text in the life of, of the church 
but these verses have actually been a bit of a banner song from the very beginning for current. Uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, the the builders labor in vain. These have been a a banner song for us. This has been very much a part of our story. Uh, When the team first set out to start current, uh, we were meeting in a living room, just a few of us. And guys, we had no one sending church. Uh, We had no one sending organization. And we're all kind of looking at each other like, "Uh, how's this going to (laughs) work? Um, actually, I get that question a lot. Uh, I, I, regularly, people will come up after a service or whatever it might be and say, hey, so who's the sending organization? Do you guys have a, a mother church or a, a mother organization? And those are always kind of fun conversations for me to have because I'm always like, oh, we, we don't really have one sending or mother church or organization. What? How, how does that work? Well, to jump to the end, we've had a lot of churches out there end up partnering with us. But in the earliest of days, I was going out there and talking to any and every organization that might possibly work to see if they'd work with us. And we found a lot of organizations that helped churches start up. And uh, a lot of them worked out relationally. There's relational synergy. It worked out theologically, like, okay, uh, there was philosophical alignment. But then when it came down to it, for instance, a lot of these organizations, when it came down to, say, how they worked financially, it just didn't make sense. And by the way, I don't knock these organizations as I say this, but they would say, okay, here's what it looks like for us to partner with you and you to partner with us, become part of this organization. Um, You know, we're going to give you this much to try to get you up and running, and then we expect this percentage back over a course of X number of years, that sort of thing. And to be fair, that's a great process because these are nonprofit organizations trying to work it out. They need to, you know be able to make it so they can do this and be able to make it so they can help support other church plants like ourselves. But when you crunch the numbers, especially in an area as expensive as the Silicon Valley, none of it made sense. Um, And actually, that's a big part of the reason why it didn't make sense for us. I mean, I'd have these conversations, and a lot of these, all these organizations work nationally, so they're working with these numbers that are kind of averaged out across the whole place. But when you think about the Silicon Valley, we don't fit into that average (laughs) And so I remember at one point, I remember at one point uh, saying to one guy of one organization, he's like, I was like, hey, this does help me understand. Like, this isn't quite making sense. Like, I, I don't think we can do this with you. And after three or four conversations, he finally was like, you know what? We'd love to partner with you, but you don't want to do this with us. It doesn't make sense. Um, which goes to show where we are, right? Where, this is a Silicon Valley that first of all, and foremost is known for not being very cheap to operate, but also is not very known for being all that receptive towards Christianity. All this to say, I go into all this to say, that's what the team was looking at in the first, you know, those earliest of days and be like, okay, God, if you don't show up, this isn't happening. <laughs> and so this was a banner verse of ours, God, you have to show up or this isn't going to work out. But you know what this psalmist is helping us understand? This is always the case. It's always the case for things that are of everlasting impact that'll, that'll, that, that matter in the long run for eternal reasons. God has to show up or our part matters not. And you know what? That's a great place to be. Uh, what I want to do with the rest of our time, just real briefly, because I want to spend some time in prayer with you and then, and then singing again, even as we, by the way, come to the Lord's table, is consider some implications of God's part. If God is doing what he's doing, or we, we expect or look to him for his part, what does that mean for us? Well, number one, it means we need to depend on him. Uh, this is kind of low-hanging fruit of this text, right? Um, we play our part building the house, watching over the city. It's not like we sit on our hands and don't do anything, right? We play our part, but ultimately and most fundamentally, our biggest part is not rolling up our sleeves and doing the actual work. The most important work we actually do is trusting him. 
depending on him. Uh, being a part of a startup church, uh, when, before we, it, it, being a part of a, a startup church has really felt like being a parent of a newborn. For those of you guys who have been there or are there right now, uh, you know that uh, when you are parenting a newborn, time just flies by because so much is going on. It's so frenetic and you're just, you can't get. Meanwhile, all these wonderful things are happening, all these milestones. Oh, the baby's teething. Oh, the baby's walking. All the, and it's just all happening. And you, you can step back a little bit and be like, this is amazing. But really, you're just, you're just too caught up in the midst of it. It's all blurry, right? Um, that's what's been really fun about this week is just to kind of take a step back and be like, whoa, Lord, you've done that? We want to continue to depend on you doing that. Um, for instance, this last uh, Easter, we had 330 people come out, which is really fun. If you had told me that we would have 330 people come out on a given Easter, I don't know if I would have believed you early on. Uh, many people that day uh, made faith decisions. Some of you made faith decisions that day. There's a lot of energy, a lot of momentum, just a lot of exciting things happening. But I'll never forget a conversation I was having with someone after the, the, the second gathering time. And uh, from, from the best that I remember that conversation, he identified as atheist, and yet he had this look in his eye of like, what am I seeing? And I asked him about that. I was like, you know, did you, did you have a good experience? How's, how's coming today? And he said, I never would have guessed that this would happen in the Silicon Valley. Like, see so much life and energy and impact happening in a church? And then he said, it's a miracle. And I thought, Whoa, that's it. His word, miracle. I'm just like, man, that has been God through and through from the very beginning. To, to say that we would have thought that last year we would see 25 adults make faith first-time faith decisions to follow Jesus. Are you, are you kidding me? By the way, there was a gal last week who, who decided to put their faith in Jesus. Can we give her a hand? Like, this is really fun. Um, I'm not going to embarrass you or, or, or call you out, but that's what this is all about. We think about the, 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 the growing numbers, which is really fun, and all, all, all these different things. We, we, we thank God, and we just say, you know what, God, we, if, if you don't build your church, we're going to fall flat on our face. This is not going to happen. It's not going to work. We want to continue to put ourselves in that place, and that's a good place to be. You know, it's hard. It's change. It's work, and it's exciting because we find ourselves, again, in a place where we have to depend on God. Unless you build the church, it's all for nothing. So I think what this means for us is, yes, we need to depend on God. What might that look like for you? In, in terms of specifically, as we think about going to this second uh, gathering time, uh, what might this look like for you to depend on God? You know, team leads, how can you depend on God as you're recruiting and positioning volunteers in the spots? Um, those of you who are considering taking a next step in your faith, uh, what might that look like for you to depend on God? By the way, of course, this text is not just has its application in terms of us here now going to a second gathering time. It's for all people who've put their faith in Jesus, wanting to put ourselves in a place where we are dependent on God. If you are a follower of his, have you been in a place or are you in a place or is there opportunity for you to be in a place where you have to depend on God and trust him for wonderful things? If you're like me, the depending and trusting can be hard. Um, sometimes I'd rather not have to depend and trust, but those are some of the best times in my life to see him show up because those are times when we get to see, wow, he really was at work. He really is there. And those are some of the richest times in my faith and my walk with the Lord. And I know that's true of many of you. So one of the implications of God's part is we need to depend. The second implication here is that we need to expect 
or to use some of our language here, our value language here at Current, is we want to be expectant. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's all in vain. Verse 2, in vain you rise early. In vain you rise early to drive a truck with a trailer to bring it here to Current. In vain you rise early to set up earlier for the first gathering service. Need lots of coffee. Uh, in vain, in vain, in vain. It's repeated three times, that phrase there. Look, the reason why we commit ourselves to these things is not just because it's exciting and fun and woo, we're growing. The reason why we commit ourselves to these things is because we are expectant that God is going to do things of eternal worth, uh, to have eternal impact. Um, you know, I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking about this gal who put her faith in Jesus this last week, and I was thinking about it this way. I, if we had started this church, gone through all the work, done all the different things that we do on a week-in, week basis, either here on a Sunday or out in the community or whatever, and one person had put their, like last week, put their faith in Jesus, it would have all been worth it. I mean, do you think about that? Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming to live and then die for us, not just carte blanche for the, for the, for the masses, but for each and every person individually who would believe in him and who would receive him. For you and for me personally. And he would do it again. That's the gospel. Meaning if we get to be a part of that in the smallest way for one person to do it, yes, count me in. And yet by God's grace to his glory, he's been doing that over and over again. Now, that we've seen, now to the point we've seen over 50 adults put their faith in Jesus in life current. I mean, that's just, again, we don't say any of that to pat ourselves on the back or say, look at us. Do we play a part in that? Do we strategize? Do we use our brains, our hands, all those sorts of things to kind of work together and, and try to make a difference in that way? Of course. But we're not fooling ourselves to think it's because of us and because of our ability. Only the, only the things of eternal value can happen through God and his work. And so we're just so thankful. And so we got to depend on them. We got we to ex expect, be expectant by faith. I was talking with one on our staff this week. He was telling me how expectant he is in the midst of this, which is really encouraging because his workload is increasing with an extra gathering time. And he's got more to manage, more to lead. And, uh, but he's, he was telling me how he's really excited about this, and I asked him why. He said, because at this point in the story, he's been with us from the very beginning, he said, because at this point, I've seen God show up so many times, I have to figure he's going to show up again. And, I was, and we were just kind of reflecting on it. We're like, that's what this is all about, isn't it? If you've walked with the Lord and you've put yourself in places where you've had to depend on him, you've probably experienced that. But you don't even have to experience that to realize that that's, the case. that's how it works. You could read your Bible because there's any number of examples over and over and over and over of people coming to a place where they have to depend, they have to trust in God, and they're freaking out, which I love because that's often me. They're freaking out, and guess what? God shows up, and he does more amazing things than they could have hoped or imagined, and they celebrate that. But then it happens again. They find themselves in another time. Same group of people. Oh, no, what are we going to do? We have to depend and trust. I don't know if we can. And then God shows up and does something even more amazing for them than they could have hoped or imagined. And then it repeats again. Same people. This happens over and over in all this text. And every once in a while, it's awesome. Every once in a while, dare I say, you know, a few of the times, not most of the times, every once in a while, some of these folks following God will go at the third or fourth juncture there be like, I think we can depend on him. <laughs> I, think we can, I think we could trust this time. And God shows up and does something wonderful. 
Um, that's what we're called to do, to depend and to expect him to do wonderful things by faith because he is the one who builds his house. Does that mean as we start this second gathering time that it's all going to work perfectly, that we're not going to have to tweak things, that, you know, hopefully not, we won't have to abandon it altogether? That's not, we're not saying any of that. What we're saying is we want to put ourselves in a place, trusting God as best we can in terms of what we see him doing, to be dependent and expectant to see him move because we just want to be about what he's doing. In fact, one of our prayers from the very beginning is, God, would you build this church even in spite of us? And God, whenever, if ever, wherever we miss where you're heading and what you're doing, would you reroute our course? Because we don't want to do our thing, even if that's fun or whatever. We want, we want to do your thing because that's what matters. How can you be expectant in this? How can you be expectant in your own life? Uh, do you tend to be a Debbie Downer when things come into your life where you're just like, oh no, this is so bad, this is so hard, it's not going to work out? I can and often am. But often these are actually our gifts to depend, to trust, and to expect wonderful things. The promise here, friends, is not for easy and comfortable in fact, I think that's often where we go wrong. Where I go wrong is I just kind of get mixed up and think, even if I don't articulate this in my mind, but down in my gut, I think, oh, it's supposed to be easy or comfortable. There's no promise of that. But when I do that, I'm always like, God, where are you? There's no promise of it easy and comfortable. But there is the promise of God is going to work for something that is of eternal value, something that is to be uh, done that won't be in vain. Uh, that's what we want to commit ourselves to. We want to commit ourselves to things that hopefully, God willing, in the next life, we're going to look back and say, God, wow, you did that and you allowed us to be a part of it. Uh, that's what this is all about. So we need to depend, we need to expect, and we need to celebrate. Uh, in this text, the psalmist here doesn't directly celebrate or praise God, but the implication is pretty clear. If it's God who's working to build his house to watch over the city, or spiritually speaking, to change lives, to transform and restore people, and he allows us to be a part of that, then we need to continually remind ourselves and proclaim it's because of him and it's for him. Um, if nothing else, as we wrap our time up together today, if nothing else, here's my prayer, that as we step into this next new season in the life of the church, that we would commit and that we would dedicate this all into the Lord's hands. Um, that we would ask him to bless and protect us, not to make us feel good, although he encourages his children, that's nice, not to make this church bigger, faster, better, stronger, although it's nice when he increases our impact, which he, often he does. We ask all of this for his protection, for his blessing, that he would build his house, that he would watch over his city for the sake of his glory and for the sake of his purposes. Uh, let's pray. Father, today is a very special day in the life of the church, a day when we look back on how kind you have been to us. What we've longed for from the very beginning of current is to see you move in us and through us. And while we want to commit ourselves to the hard work, knowing that you call us to do our part, we recognize today again that if you don't build your house and if you don't watch over your city, then all that we do is in vain. In fact, our prayer is that you would build your church even in spite of us. We are flawed 
sinful people and often get things wrong in our relationships, in our habits, in, our, in various ways. But we pray because of your mercy and your grace that you'd help us see that it's because of what you've done for us first. And would you help us in this spirit depend, expect, and celebrate what you're doing and what you're about to do for your glory. Would you go before the launch of the second gathering time? Would you use it to help us make room and increase our impact for the sake of your gospel? And if and where we don't get it right or you choose to move in different ways, would you make that clear to us because we don't want to do this without you. In fact, we can't do this without you. It'll all be done in vain without you. And yet, if you do choose to move, it's to build something that will last forever and that will never fade. So we thank you for bringing us to this point in the story. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your grace. Lord, would you please continue to move in ways even greater than we could ever hope or imagine. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.